I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where two best friends read books together and try to apply what they learn to their lives. This season, our book is Burnout by Emily Nagoski, PhD, and Amelia Nagoski, DMA. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm researcher Dr. Kelly Jones. And the reading we're going to be discussing today is Burnout Chapter 2, Hashtag Persist. And next week's reading is Burnout Chapter 3, Meaning. Check your show notes to find our complete schedule or visit chipperish.com and search Big Strong Yes Schedule to find out what we're doing next. All right, Dr. Jones, how you doing? Well, you know, I'm matching the title of our book this week. Uh, yeah, it's so funny. Like when you you're on a roll, you know, mm-hmm. and like you're doing all the good things and you're like, hell yeah, I'm I'm battling the burnout, whatever. And then you just freaking crash. Yes. And like mm-hmm. I had a crash this week, which I hate. I hate. I hate the crash. I hate it. It makes me so mad. Um, <laughs> so I'll be a barrel of laughs on this episode it's gonna be awesome (laughs) oh you are you are always a barrel of laughs I always enjoy everything that you have to say um my week has been crazy busy um it just and it's been one of these weeks where like everything is an irritant you know I've been Mm. thwarted on a million levels so as I was reading about the monitor and like the ragey you know when you get so Uh frustrated you're just like fuck it right um so I, I felt this week's reading I think a little bit um but I guess first we should probably talk about our homework do you want to go first or you want me to go first Oh, your homework notes are beautiful. I want you to go first. Oh, thank you so much. I don't know that they're beautiful, but you know, whatever. They are what oh, they no, are. I'm, oh, mm, 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 what? Nope, oh nope, I'm sorry. That's supposed to be. Uh, nope, we're they not are, self-deprecating. They Let's are beautiful. Let's do that again. They are, they're beautiful, just like me. Thank there you. you. Okay, go. anyway. Yes. I, I it was completely not cringing and uncomfortable when I did that, which means I got work to do. Because remember three years ago when I was like, uh-uh, and that sentence with, and I am beautiful. <laughs> Badass around one shoulder, swagger on the other. I don't know. I think think maybe I fell back a little bit. So it's time to do my homework. Um, My homework for last week was to like honor my body, to mend these fences, uh, to make up with my body that has done nothing but try to keep me alive. Which when you said that, my body has done nothing but try to keep me alive. It was such a light bulb moment for me because I was like, oh, yeah, my body's been pretty pretty fucking good to me you know like mm-hmm. um so like I-, I said last week that i was going to find a way to love my physical existence and uh write a list of the ways in which my body has done right by me write a love letter to my body yeah um so okay like i i assigned <laughs> my own homework i have no one to blame but myself so here we go all right um I've spent my whole life hating my body because it was too fat and too ugly, right? Uh, But the reality is that's just not true. Like, I haven't been too fat. I've been able to do everything I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. I've never had to think about an airline seatbelt fitting over my belly, except when I was really super pregnant. And even then, like, I still fit in the airline seat. Um, I have not had serious pain. Everything I've asked my body to do, it has done willingly, happily. Now I'm going to say some things in gratitude for my body that sound like bragging 
and anyone listening who has a body that has disappointed them, I see you, but I am saying this because it is important that I acknowledge what my body has done for me. Um, so with the exception of one week when my back went out in my 30s, my body has never had pain that stopped me from doing whatever I wanted to do. Um, I got pregnant very easily when I wanted to, and when I didn't want to get pregnant, I didn't. I had two C-sections, but I was up and about pretty quickly after both of them, and I healed up great. I almost never get sick, and when I do, it's rarely anything too bad. I almost never vomit, which I hate doing more than <laughs> anything, and my body does not make me vomit a lot. Sometimes it makes me feel like it. I have, I have empathetic nausea, you know? But aside from that, like, it's not bad. Um, I didn't have terrible morning sickness either. It was actually pretty easy. As much as I hated pregnancy, it was pretty easy. Um, I have either a really high pain tolerance or a low sensitivity to pain, but either way, I don't find pain to be a big issue for me. I almost never get headaches. I almost never have to take painkillers. Uh, now, as I'm getting older, I'm a little achy sometimes, but mostly every morning I hop out of bed, I jaunt down the stairs. I find myself running up and down stairs all the time without any pain. And the absence of pain is something to be super grateful for, you know? Yeah. Um, I almost <laughs> never fall over. And whenever I have fallen, it's always been either ice or wine, you know, that did it. Um, I have never broken a bone. I have a bladder like a camel. And while I try not to take advantage of that, sometimes it comes in handy, you know? I don't leak, right? And that's probably because of the two C-sections instead of like having to give vaginal birth. But still, I don't leak, you know? Um, I almost always have an orgasm. Even my first time at bat, I had an orgasm. I'm also pretty quick to orgasm and I often have more than one procession. Okay, fucking lucky there. My body is done right by me there. Um, and in almost 50 years of life, I've had like minor complaints. I have bad eyesight. I have had since I was a kid, but I've always had glasses or contacts. So that's not a big deal. I have tinnitus, which is this ringing in my ears, which most of the time I don't even notice. Um, it gets bad when my allergies kick up and I have allergies. All right, fine. I've got allergies, uh, but it's not that big a deal. Again, I have a minor heart condition where I get palpitations when I get dehydrated, but Gatorade fixes that shit right up. So, I mean, that's it. Those are my complaints. Thank you, body, in almost 50 years, right? Um, I have a resting heart rate of like 58 beats per minute. Um, I've been doing a lot more cardio in the last six months. And even though I have deprived my body of exercise for most of my existence, um, when I start to pay attention to my body and once it knows I'm serious, it responds. Um, like I've noticed that I can't lose weight until I've been trying for more than a month, at least, if not six weeks. My body does not fucking trust me at all uh, that I will try to lose weight responsibly and consistently. And you know what? Like, I completely get that. That is a trust I have not earned. Um, so my body holds on to weight because it's programmed to protect me from famine, right? It is trying to keep me alive. I have one of these like stocky German brick shithouse bodies that can <laughs> handle shit, right? And I need to be grateful for that. So to my body, I have this to say, thank you for loving me, for caring for me, even when I didn't appreciate you properly. I will do my best to give you an orgasm every single day. And I think that's my homework for next week. <laughs> I love that homework. That's fantastic homework. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how I do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. I can't wait to ask you about your homework next week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my boyfriend's going to be like, what you doing in there? <laughs> you to help me with Honey. my homework. Come yes, here. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Dr. Jones, what was your homework? Oh God. Um, so my homework was to do the things, right? Exercise and sleep. 
And I've been doing a lot better there for the last couple of weeks. And then, of course, mm-hmm. as we get closer to recording day, like then I had this really bad crash. Oh, um, yeah. And so I'm I'm struggling with the self-compassion side okay. of crash. Mm-hmm. And my body just pretty much demanded sleep after you know, like a couple nights of no sleep. And, and I hate that feeling. I hate crashing and mm-hmm. sleeping more than I mean to. But yeah. nothing terrible happened. Like the world did not end. I didn't hurt anybody. Right. You, know, I, you I, just I, slept. You just allowed yourself a little time to sleep. rest. You know, but it's super annoying. Um, but I did make <laughs> it to the... It's God, it drives me crazy. Um, but I did make it to the pool and I did do a lot of walking. And like, that's good. Mm-hmm. But it is... It's interesting. Like, I am, I am really trying to hold the... My body is trying to keep me alive. Like, has always tried to keep me alive. Because mm-hmm. my body does not work. The way I wish it did. So, you know, I have terrible pain I have for most of my life. Um, You know, I have a a broken arm that is never going to work right again. It's just not. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have gained lots and lots of weight um, and lost it and still struggle. I mean, I'm not where I I would like to get, but Mm -hmm. that is better. But still, like most of my adult life was was certainly a struggle mm-hmm. um you know i have terrible periods i have autoimmune issues i have low energy and insomnia and clumsiness and major falls and pain and pain and pain so it's it's very easy to say you know i can't trust my body's balance or yeah. stamina and and so that that bleeds very quickly into well i just hate this body right and that's mm-hmm. really not freaking fair you know because this body's been through a lot um, <laughs> and and has kept me alive for 43 yeah. years, despite the fact that I have not <laughs> treated it very well. Like it, it hasn't had a lot of great things to work with. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I'm trying to shift. Like when we started reading burnout, I thought it was mental burnout because that's where I always go first. Right. Like, yes, oh, my brain exactly. is tired. I'm stressed mm-hmm. out. That's in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but really trying to recognize that my body is burned out for good reason mm-hmm. and hating it doesn't help right you know? so but that's really hard when you're in pain because yeah where do you put the anger over being in pain like it fucking sucks yeah. you know mm-hmm. so I just like really and then I can be like well it's my fault because I haven't done all the perfectly healthy things my whole life that doesn't help either no you know? the blaming the blaming as a and this is a mentality I think that that we have culturally that like something's wrong, whose fault is it? And if mm-hmm. it's your own fault, then you deserve whatever's wrong. Like, um, first of all, the idea that we're always looking for whose fault is it, you know, like feels uh, you know, I mean, there are times where a certain person is responsible for certain things and blah, 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 you know, and th- accountability is a thing. I'll absolutely go with that. But I mean, like, this is something that you have to deal with, that you have to deal with this pain, that you have terrible periods, that you have all of these things that are, you know, that you're where your body has disappointed you, you know, Um and that's real and that's exhausting. Um, but you don't deserve that. You don't deserve that pain. I don't care what you've done. You don't deserve it. You know, um, you haven't earned it. It isn't your own fault. And so shut up about it. You know, you you get to feel what you feel and and, you know, express disappointment with that. Like, I think that that's fair. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was just interesting because I started thinking back and I was like, you know, even as a little kid, I would like I got tired faster than other children when I was swimming or running, I would get a stitch in my side. You know, I was always slower. I was always more clumsy. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I fell one time as a child and gave myself two black eyes because I like fell into the side of a piano um, because I lost my balance. And like it has always been that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's just like, well, this particular vehicle that I have isn't really great on alignment and, you know, mm-hmm. maybe needs to stop for gas more often than other vehicles do. And mm-hmm. that's just how it is. But but really just trying to think, well, this is the this is the physical vehicle I've got. Right. Mm-hmm. And hating it doesn't help. It is really doing the best it can. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so just mm-hmm. just kind of teasing that apart a little bit for homework, um, which is super yeah. fun. You know, yeah. When you're, <laughs> oh, God, like I was. Yeah, I was in the pool and swimming. And I mean, it's fun. And I really like it. And I want to get better at it. Mm-hmm. But there are there are a couple of moves that um, a physical therapist has given me to do that help a lot with my knees. But you have to put your arms up on the side of the pool to be able uh-huh. to do it. My right arm won't do that. Oh, I can't. It doesn't yeah. turn. I can't do it. Oh, and so it just hits that. Well, I can't do this button one more time. Mm-hmm. That just throws you back into the cycle that they were talking about. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, I think I lived this chapter this week <laughs> in ways I did not intend to and that were not fun. But um, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it is good. I don't know. Just the reminder of who you are as a person is not the same thing as what your body can and cannot do physically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that, mm-hmm. that it probably sounds incredibly obvious, but I have to remind myself of that. Yeah. You know, all the yeah. time. Um, so, yes, yeah, super fun. Lots of fun homework. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how, how are your reflections this week? Um, you know, I mean, honestly, aside from the body stuff, which I wasn't really focusing on, I didn't reflect much this week. Um, it was a crazy week, just uh, full of shit to do. And I mm-hmm. just got it done. Um, I had a couple of instances this week where I was super frustrated, right? You know, and I wanted to think about completing the cycle last week, right? So like have a consciousness of it, um, exercise to complete the cycle. Um, but I just I found like I couldn't exercise is really good for completing the cycle when I'm irritated. But when I get into the red zone, which I spent a lot of this weekend, like I'm just I'm too stressed. I'm too angry. Um, so what I did instead was I vented like quite a bit to the people who love me, you know? Um, And then as soon as I start venting, like, here's the thing. Whenever I vent, right, I go into the, like, you know me when I do like my rants and everything, Mm -hmm. I try to make my venting amusing to others so that I have kind of like a, I can ride the anger and frustration out on the humor because the humor is acceptable. If I'm venting to somebody and I'm being funny while I vent, then at least I'm amusing them while they're listening to me and I can vent at the same time. And that is is something that comes from my innate belief that I am not allowed to feel this way, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, I only like to have pleasant emotions around other people. And traditionally, I have a lot of difficulty taking up space in my relationships, you know, talking about me existing when I don't serve a purpose for the other person, you know? Um, and so I, I ended up venting a lot to my boyfriend this week and I kept apologizing to him and he kept saying, that's why I'm here. You don't have to apologize for how you feel, um, which is something that he has to say like a lot. Um, and I didn't realize how conditioned I'd become to kind of being punished for being anything other than being pleasant, which was a tennis serve first set up by my mother and then spiked home by the sociopath. Um, but then it was funny because at one point uh, the boyfriend was joking around. He's like, all right, fine. As a man, let me tell you that, you know, uh, you are allowed to feel your feelings. Um, you don't need to be pleasant. You know, you have full dispensation from the patriarchy to like, you know, go ahead and feel however you feel. And I mean, he's joking around, you know, um, but if he can use the powers vested in him by the patriarchy to drive a point home, like he's going to do that, you know. Um, and, um, so then in the, in the reverse angle of that, I was teaching my kid to drive, um, and the driving makes her very tense, makes her, you know, really, but I want her to have that independence and have that, that skill and ability to drive if she needs to, you know? So, um, so she's been very, very tense and cranky and she kept apologizing to me, you know, she apologized to me for things that she felt, but did not express. So it wasn't even like, she yelled at me or, you know, whatever. She just felt cranky and then she would apologize with uh, like having not even expressed it. Right. Um, And so I, I, you know, of course, my first thought was, oh, boy, how I have modeled, you know, behavior for my kid. Um, But then I sat down like we were driving and I was like, hey, I'm like, first things first, you're behind the wheel. The most important person in this car is you. Right. Because we need to keep you on a good, even emotional keel or you're going to drive us both into a brick wall. And I'm like, so if there's like there was a way that I was instructing her that was annoying her and she was she just said, you know, maybe don't say it this way, maybe say it this way. And I was like, absolutely, I can say like it doesn't. That's absolutely no problem. And that's fine. And you told me and you expressed that to me. And that's great. And like, so we've had this conversation, but you are the most important person in this car. And then every now and again, I would be like, who is the most important person in this car? And she'd be like, me, you know, and it was really, really hard. So we went through that whole process. And, you know, and I mean, the thing is, like, if you know, your body is your car, you're driving it around. If you don't pay attention to you, you're going to drive it into a wall, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so thinking about, like, the space that I take up, you know, um, about the the need to that it's okay for me to be angry and irritated at something and it's okay to vent it. And then it's okay to set it aside, you know, and that's a fine, that's a process. That's one of the ways for completing the cycle that I need when I'm too stressed out when exercise is going to do it, you know. Um, so, you know, Looking at my kid, for whom I have modeled behavior for a very long time, that is probably not that great. Um, And then trying to help her work through that, um, that idea that you're not allowed to be anything other than pleasant and helpful whenever there's somebody else around. Um, It was it was like an interesting process for me this week to kind of both experience it and take a look at it from the outside in. You know, from the reversal that if somebody I love behaves the way that I behave, how does that make me feel? And Mm. it's not great. 
Mm-hmm. It's not great. You know, you love somebody, you want them to feel their feelings, you want them to know that you're going to love them no matter what. You know, you want them to know that it's okay for them to express whatever they've got to express. Um, and it's really, really hard to be around somebody who constantly makes everything about you or at least not about them. You know, so yeah, yeah. so that's kind of where I've been thinking about these things and trying to to figure out how to um, how to work with that. Like, you know, my boyfriend was joking around about that, but he was like, I'm here. I want to support you. And if you don't let me support you, you know, then that's frustrating for me. And I'm like, ah, (laughs) 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 so what about you? What were your reflections this week? Well, I had some, but you blew my mind with the driver is the most important person in the car idea. Um, I have never heard that before. I've never thought of that before. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a really big idea to think about because like before we get to the metaphor of it, um, (laughs) actually learning to drive for me Mm -hmm. was so traumatic and so horrible. And Mm -hmm. I did not know at the time that my vision Um, I have a stigmatism and I have some issues with depth perception. So when I was learning how to drive and I was in the road and I was in my lane and there was a car coming in the other lane, I literally could not see if they were in their own lane or if they were heading head on in mine. Oh, my God. How scary. It was terrifying. And and the people who were teaching me to drive did not understand why I was having such a hard time. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to express hey, my vision doesn't work like yours because I didn't know what was going on. I assumed that driving was like this for everybody and I was just Mm -hmm. terrible at it. Uh And and I had, you know, so many spatial issues and and just navigation, like, you know, just just big problems where I would end up on the if I was going south on the interstate, I would end up north and not realize it for like four exits. And mm-hmm. and I had several wrecks and times I got lost. And, you know, one time I drove to Alabama by mistake, but that's actually a different kind of funny story. <laughs> I drove but to Indiana I, once by mistake. <laughs> mistake. Yeah, same, like same. wrong state. Great. <laughs> um, but it was such a huge panic. Like the whole time yeah. I was behind the wheel, just this you know, absolute, like, I am going to die or kill somebody panic Mm -hmm. with no help with that, with no support. And everyone telling me that I was just really shitty at this, or I wasn't paying attention, or I wasn't whatever. Um, It never dawned on me to to say, I I can't see if this car is about to hit me, like, Mm -hmm. because I just assumed I was doing it wrong. Yeah, you know, so the whole idea of the driver is the most important person in the car, like, wow. Um, but they are, though. Yeah. Like, I mean, oh, no really, kidding. they are, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah. and when, it was funny because when I said that to her, like, I hadn't heard it before either. But it was just something where I was like, hey, you're driving. Also, she's driving my car, right? I like my car. <laughs> If you're behind the wheel of my car. You are the most important person in my world. Right, right. <laughs> you know? No but, kidding. Um, but yeah, like just that that she, it's not just the, you know, like in any other circumstance, 
that she should be allowing space for her to feel however she feels and that's okay. But that like, you know, cause I keep telling her, I'm like, I don't care. Like, I, would you rather irritate somebody or die in a fiery crash? Like, yeah. So maybe you're going a little bit slow. If you feel like you're going way too slow, hit your hazards and then they know that something's going on or whatever. I'm like, but you know, like you don't have to go fast because somebody behind you looks like they're getting impatient. People get impatient on the road all the time. People are assholes. They're terrible. Right. Um, but you are the most important person. And so there's something, too, about doing this with her where I am actually training her to put her self first. Yeah. That, like, you want to learn yeah. how to do something, man, teach it to somebody else. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny. I, I used some of that, too, when I was teaching my son how to drive that I was like, you, it does not matter who is irritated around yeah. you. All that mm-hmm. matters is your calm and your safety. Like, exactly. that's it. This mm-hmm. is. But but no one ever taught that to me. Yeah. Um. So it was just fascinating. But to mm-hmm. think about that, like, yeah, I am the driver in this body. Yeah. So I am the most important person in there. I mean, like brave new schema. Like, wow, that's (laughs) (laughs) blew my mind with that whole thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But in my in my previous reflections before you blew my mind, um, I got the first vaccine shot after you. Yay. And I want to thank you for telling us about your experience or Mm -hmm. else I would have freaked out. When I pulled up to a giant auditorium packed with people in all the National Guard, because mm-hmm. I did not know that that was how yeah. things were being done. Yeah. Um, so if you had not told me, I would have freaked out. Um, mm-hmm. So then it was fine. You know, yeah. it's kind of surreal. It is. Um, yeah. But, you know, it was everyone was calm and 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 orderly yeah. and it was fine. Um, mm-hmm. I have never gotten a shot in front of hundreds of people before. Feels a little weird. It was so weird. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I'm very grateful to have that first one done and, yeah. and hopeful that it will be available for every single person very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and just holding lightly to the it's almost over. Right. right. Like not trying to hold on to that too hard because disappointment. Oh, girl. And, you know, okay. as all soon that as we have both of those shots, one of us is getting in a car. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> we are going to visit. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, and I did reflect a bit on burnout and physical pain mm-hmm. um, it, because it's hard. Like, it's hard to rumble when they're, it, the idea is like, go take a walk. And I'm like, great, right. I go for a walk and then I feel worse. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, it's not supposed to work like that, but it does. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing I can do today that will make all the pain in my body go away. Like, right. it's not a do this one thing and mm-hmm. then you're going to be great. So like it's going to take months of effort to yeah. to reduce the pain a little bit. Um and I don't have any good insight there except just to acknowledge that it's hard, you yeah. know. Um which was really aligned with the reading in more ways than, you know, than mm-hmm. I realized. Um and I think I've got to reflect on what it means to be like the most important driver in a body that sends out a lot of pain signals. Yeah. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. um, so, yeah. yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know how you think about that. And I mean, the thing is, too, like <laughs> I opened up with all this. Hey, my body's not so bad. I'm not in pain all the time. You know, and now I feel kind of like an asshole. No, um, but I'm no, trying because... to be hold space to be grateful for the fact that. And, yeah, yes. You and know? I want that for you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were times in my life where I was not in pain and I did mm-hmm. not appreciate it. Yeah. So like. It's I think, hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you you're you're 
having that gratitude and not being in pain does not take away from my experience at all. Um, I think it's so important to acknowledge that yeah, things, to acknowledge you know, work the when they are... work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. exactly. Exactly. And like, you know, as I see you struggling with all of this stuff, you know, and as we talk about what our experiences of our periods are and like all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, you know, um, it, it does make me feel like, okay, you know, I could I could have a little gratitude rather than being upset because, gee, I'd like to lose, you know, 40 pounds and, you know, and fit into this kind of ideal of womanhood. The nice thing about getting older is that like like you can't get younger like you can do like i mean there are terrible you know like horrible things that people do to themselves to try to appear younger you know but like i'm never gonna be i'm gonna be in my 40s for like another hot minute and then i'm 50 you know um and like because being older as a woman also has that sense of like you know you're not good enough, I guess. Like, you're just like, you don't matter. Like, you're not like it gives it's that sense of being fat my whole life, you know, has has bothered me to such a great deal because I felt like like the perfection was attainable if only I had more discipline. But I can't get younger no matter how much discipline I have. So there's something about Mm -hmm. like turning 50 as I look at it, where I'm like, okay, I can I can finally stop trying. You know, yeah. Well, and I think it's I think it's challenging because not everyone can lose weight. Mm-hmm. Like bodies are different, and yeah. there's a lot of reasons that you gain and hold on to it. Um, and it it certainly was, you know, it which is absolutely true. I've always believed though, right, right, that We're I could if I tried. That you can. Yeah, exactly. That's, that it's just a lack of willpower. So yes, I'm yeah. sorry. I misstated that. That's absolutely no, no, bullshit. No, you're good. It's just something that I be- I've believed. Despite yeah, no, it being that's wrong. the that's what yeah. we're taught, right? But right. that's not mm-hmm. the case. That's um, not the case. But it is funny because mm-hmm. I over the the pandemic, so my hair started going gray when I was 23, mm-hmm. I think. And and so for almost 20 years, I have colored my hair like mm-hmm. every six to eight weeks. Yeah, and. Over the the course of the pandemic, I just stopped and I let it go. And you and look it is, fucking gorgeous. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, it is solid gray, and I am leaving it. I am never coloring my hair again. This and it is so much healthier now than oh, it has man. been because I haven't colored mm-hmm. it in so long. I and I'm like, why is this such a big deal? People's yeah. reaction. So I'm 43. I am mm-hmm. solid gray, and and I have heard comments like. You're so brave. And I'm like, for what? Like, for letting my hair grow? That makes me brave? For showing a sign of aging. We're not supposed to age. Women are not supposed to age. The worst thing a woman can do is outlive her youth. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, you know what? I'm... I'm seven years from 50, but I kind of am digging this. Like, it's great. Mm-hmm. And But the number of people who come up to me who I don't know and will yeah. say, I love your hair. And I'm like, baby, you can stop dying yours, too. Like, it's <laughs> all it, exactly. I didn't do anything. I stopped doing mm-hmm. something. But it it is so funny the the emotional reactions. And, and I struggled with it for the first couple of months. And then I was mm-hmm. like, oh, it this looks is- so good. my hair and mm-hmm. like whatever it's great um yeah. that it's just it's just so funny to me that mm-hmm. these these 
ideals or these things. None of that has anything to do with being a good person. None of that has anything to do with being kind. Right. You know, that we're we're just the, the things that we're taught to to value or measure. Yeah, are, but it does it, have it, an effect on your sense of your own value. I mean, as a woman, oh, yeah. right, you get your value through your youth, through your appeal to men. Like, that's a huge thing, you know, and so part of that is this idea that you, that aging is actually a, a character flaw, you know, um, yeah. and so there's Which something. Which is so dumb, because what is the alternative? Exactly. No, that's 35? the thing. Yes. Right? No, that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. You're supposed to die if you're not, if you're not young and a size zero and ready to sleep with all these men like you are you like your value and the thing is is that it's ridiculous when you say it out loud but we've never said it out loud it's implicitly stamped into our souls from the times that we're born um you know like the value what is the value of a woman what are we shown through our culture through our stories through our media that is the value of a woman and so because i've never felt my myself to to meet those criteria but mm -hmm. i felt like if i just tried harder i could you know um it always felt like a frustration and i always felt like a failure as a woman and like and all of it's stupid like everybody out there who's yelling at me yes i know i agree with you i'm saying it's dumb <laughs> it's just that this is what i have felt without question, like without thinking mm -hmm. critically about it. Now that I'm looking at being 50 and a lot of my friends when they turned 50 said they were so much happier than they'd been because it's no longer possible. Once you're over 50 as a woman, like your value, just like you're never going to have that, that sense of, you're never going to achieve that sense of, I am all of the things that I am supposed to be forget that all those things you're supposed to be are about your your like the usefulness you have to mostly men like it's it's so weird and it's so fucked and it's so dumb but it's it's stamped on your soul from the time that you're a kid and you don't know it and you have to like weed it all out um but that's what like this week's reading as because this week's reading for me is the the fuck it chapter right the quit i quit <laughs> right I'm going to be 50. I quit trying to live to this, th achieve these things that will somehow finally, finally give me value as a human, right? You know, uh, because I can't do it. And, you know, I've been told that I could be prettier. I've been told, like, if I worked hard enough, if I got plastic surgery, that I could lose weight, that I could be thinner if I just had more discipline, if I just didn't like Doritos so much or like whatever, you know, my problem is or whatever personal failing it is in me that makes me unable to attain these goals. But now I'm 50. <laughs> fuck it. 50 is fuck it. And the women that are my friends who are older than me, when they turned 50, they were like, God damn, yes, it's done. I can't do it anymore. I'm off that train. And the freedom that they felt, um, the the sense of liberation, like it's just, you know, I have found it really, really interesting how that happens. Um, so when we're reading this week's chapter about the monitor, about the mm -hmm. progress to effort ratio, um, it kind of opened up all of that thinking for me, you know, about like, it is time to finally, at least in this one instance, just say, fuck it, you know, and let it all go. Um, so as we were reading about the monitor, 
I, I thought, you know, they were like, we could call it the discrepancy reducing slash increasing feedback loop or creation velocity, velocity, but everybody goes to sleep, so they just call it the monitor. But the idea that there is this effort to progress ratio um, and that different people have different different ways of um of managing that um and i like i was thinking about like you know those people who just never give up they never give up and then they're like i'm doing this to show my kid. like what was the i can't remember what uh tv show i think it was survivor or something where you know you find these people are doing this ridiculous thing on this tv show and they're like i'm doing it to show my kids that you never give up and i'm like oh my god i quit I just, I would not have even gotten on the plane. I am not one of those people. I have a super ragey monitor and I fucking quit all the time. Um, and so I, I find it, the idea of the monitor and like where, like on a monitor scale of one to 10, where one is fuck it and 10 is I am not giving up if you kill me. Like I am like a point zero point five. I would say <laughs> I am total and 100% fuck it on the monitor scale. Um, so what did you think about this idea of the monitor? So I like that they gave it a name, um, mm -hmm. that this is a thing. So that you know, they're calling it the brain mechanism that decides whether to keep trying or to give up. Yes. And like if you set a goal, but then your monitor shifts its assessment from attainable to unattainable, like you end up in the pit of despair, right? Mm -hmm. You just give up. Yes. And I was like, okay, first of all, I'm glad to know that that is like a process. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that this is a thing, right? It's not just me being weak and terrible. Mm -hmm. um, because my physical monitor gives up fast, fast, <laughs> like fast. Like, I don't like, no, like what? No. Um, but my, in other ways, I have a lot of determination and persistence. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's interesting to me. I'm like, okay, well, how, how, what's the algorithm? Like, how is my monitor deciding what right. is, you know, when do we keep trying or when do we give up? Like, mm -hmm. how do you influence that assessment? And, yeah. and, and I'm like, okay, can I please see my own raw data? Because it would explain a lot <laughs> and that would be very helpful. Um, uh, but I, <laughs> I really like that that there is a a process for this. There is a name for this, um, mm -hmm. which means that other people go through this, too. It's not just me. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. so like because I used to think, well, it's just your threshold. It's your strength. It's your discipline right. it's or your whatever. Grit. It's your grit. Yes, yeah, it's your exactly. Grit. It's your, exactly. It's your that, whatever. Again, so. Once again, oh, my God. Once again, are we defining something that is happening in terms of how we are failing to be good enough? Yeah. Again. Pretty much. Is uh -huh. that the first? That is the first narrative that comes to mind for both of us every single time. How am I failing this week? Let's take yeah. a look. Let's take a look. Because I never, I just, I mean, I mm -hmm. always just assumed I was undisciplined and weak and lazy and, yes. and not, I didn't, you know, but I'm like, oh, so there's a, there's a mechanism in there that's like, hmm. This mm -hmm. is this is time to back out now. This is, you know, which yeah. is probably coming from your body's desire to keep you alive. So it was right. Really, really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but and then but then what I like about this book is when they explain something like that, then they give you steps for managing it. So it's not just right. Oh, your monitor's real weak sugar. So you're just doomed. So then they're like, you know, here's some things that that you can do to help kind of manage that um, yeah. and they were you know they were talking about planful problem solving <laughs> you know where you're 
you're making a plan and thinking about what goes into it. And I used to be so damn good at this. Like, Mm -hmm. I was so good at this. I was a single parent. I worked Mm -hmm. two and sometimes three jobs at a time. I went to grad school at night. And every week I planned out this very detailed schedules, everything that had to be done for the kid, everything I had to do for work, everything I had to do for school. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and, and coordinating that amongst, you know, child care providers and help and like mm-hmm. everything um, to keep all of that going all the time. I mean, I was good at it, but I never planned for or acknowledged or dealt with the stress that that all caused. Yeah. And, and it's been funny because I have been beating myself up for the fact that I'm not as good at planful problem solving as I used to be. Well, I caught myself a few months ago actually saying, I used to work three jobs and now I only have one. I have no excuse to be this stressed out. <laughs> Where not acknowledging the fact that doing that for 20 years causes a lot of burnout, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so even now when things are calmer and my child has grown and I do only have one job, it still has never dawned on me to make a plan for dealing with stress. And I've read this book before. Um, <laughs> you know but i did want to Uh just like small side note they were talking about like sitting in traffic and the stress of stuff and gps has been a life-changing improvement oh my god yes like Mm -hmm. i can't even tell you i I get lost sense of direction Mm -hmm. i get lost in my own house i get lost (laughs) in the town where i grew up i get Uh anyone who rides with me in a car we will go somewhere i have been a hundred times and there is a 50 50 chance (laughs) That we are going to go the wrong way. And like, I just tell everybody, I'm like, this Mm -hmm. is going to happen. I apologize. We are probably going to get on the wrong interstate at some point. (laughs) Everyone, it's just, this is how it is. Mm -hmm. But GPS, oh, it has, it gives me peace of mind and confidence. Like it is one of the best things that has ever been invented. And I I will and rely you don't have on to it use always. Your brain space memorizing where shit is. I can't use that brain yeah. space because it doesn't work. It's not available GPS to you. Is not <laughs> absolutely not available to me <laughs> at all. So um, I mean, I went to a, a conference once for work in Florida, and I had and I arrived at what I thought was the hotel, mm-hmm. the, the correct street address. It was a hotel. No one else was there. I could not figure out what had happened. I called mm-hmm. my dean. We we were trying to problem solve. I'm like, I'm in the hotel. She's like, so am I. And I don't see you. <laughs> I was literally in the wrong city. Now, it had the same street name and the same address. And it was a hotel, but it was the wrong freaking city. And I had like three more hours of driving to do. Like, this is consistent oh, in my life. So mm-hmm. GPS has been... <laughs> Yes. I'm like, give me all the tools. I am I am not too proud. I will use oh, whatever exactly. helps. You oh know? my God. No, like I days of my life go into systems. Like I have this mm-hmm. thing where I have to have a system for everything. So that when this is like I don't know if you've ever used the if this then that thing like it's it's basically a tool that like if if i have a calendar event then you know the i'll tweet it or something like that like it like you can automate a whole bunch of things so i have systems that i build for absolutely everything and, and redundancies that i put in so that if this goes wrong if this system fails i run my life like it is a nuclear fallout shelter like if this <laughs> system fails then this system ticks in then this happens and i spend 
loads of my time doing that just so that I can have that sense of everything's taken care of and I don't need to stress. Um, you know, wow. because like that is, I have a stress avoidance, like, you know, um, um, like a capacity like you would not believe. Um, so when I was reading about planful problem solving, I was like, oh, yeah, calendar. I mean, okay, what did I send you this week? Right. I sent you a 24 page document with instructions, Uh with pictures of like the website and how all this stuff works, because I changed one thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So I made this whole big because just in case you have all the answers you need and everything's here. And if this doesn't work, then you can do this. And It's 23 pages. 23 pages for my best friend who I talk to every single day. And I can just be like, all right, look, look, this is what you do, right? Um, but yet I, I wrote the whole thing out and did this. Whole, like, that's the kind of shit that I do all the time for planful problem solving. So as I was reading this, I was like, yep, that's what I do. I got calendars. I got all this stuff. Da, 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 da. And then so I can prevent the stress of not knowing what's going to happen or having something happen that I had not anticipated, you know? Um, and then she's like, but you have to include the the you know the completing the cycle for the stress that your planning causes right that the <laughs> everything that and as i was reading this again and let me just let me just state for the record again i've read this book before <laughs> you know i was like oh yeah Right. Okay. And like this week for me, like there was a lot of stress involved in like, you know, website stuff and whatever. Um, and, uh, and it was all that kind of planful problem solving that, and then I came up against some frustrating things, some things that I did not anticipate, some things that dare I say shouldn't work that way, you know, um, <laughs> sorry, right. the tech support people and I had a, had a discussion. <laughs> Um, and I, I'm just laughing because meanwhile, I'm over here going, yeah, I'm just now learning how to use a bullet journal. <laughs> and <I'm- laughs> this has been my new big thing. And I'm just getting started. And you're <laughs> processes yeah. and apps and lists. I and know. Stuff. But I used to. I uh-huh. used to when I was in. Su- and, I, and I guess it shifts, right? Because I had to. Mm hmm. And and I don't have to do that anymore. And so my monitor is just like, fuck it. I don't know. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> but I, and I think that's just a, a, a stress response to the fact that I didn't process all of mm-hmm. that stress for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is amazing to me because I'm like, oh, my God, I used to be. I don't know how I did all the stuff I used to do. Yeah. But I don't have that energy anymore. So yeah. it's it's just it's really funny. But I was like, oh, yeah, plan for stress. Hmm. hmm. Interesting. Plan. Yeah, I did read that. Yeah. Before. Put completing the cycle into the <laughs> In plan. Your, into your plan. Uh, yeah. No. And you know what? You know, what's really funny is that I've read this book before and then I completely blacked out that part of the book afterward. Mm-hmm. And I will almost guarantee you that next week, you know, we talk about it. I will have completely forgotten it again. I, I don't plan for my stress. I don't plan for relieving my stress. I don't plan for dealing with my stress. I do all these things to prevent any catastrophe. If a catastrophe happens, I handle it. And then I just keep on moving on to the next thing. Um, So I was like, okay, yeah, all right, all right, book, fine, fine. You see me, I get it, whatever. Um, (laughs) So then we moved into positive reappraisal, um, which I always thought, I'm going to quote the book here. It says, 
Positive reappraisal involves recognizing that sitting in traffic is worth it. It means deciding that the effort, the discomfort, the frustration, the unanticipated obstacles, and even the repeated failure have value, not just because they are steps toward a worthwhile goal, but because you reframe difficulties as opportunities for growth and learning. And here we go into my bright sidey chipperish <laughs> bullshit. And you know, it's funny because they were just on the verge, I think, of saying toxic positivity, right? Which is where everything is okay. And it's like, and that there's a difference between positive reappraisal that you find a way in which it's it's beneficial. And I will do that where I say, no, 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 no. this is good because. You know, mm -hmm. this is good because had I not done this, had this not happened this way, I never would have discovered this thing. And it's a positive thing and yada, 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 yada. Um, you know, and so like I definitely do that a lot. And I think that like, again, this is why chipperish, chipper gibberish. That's why my company is named what it is named, because that is what I go to all the time is find a way that this terrible thing is actually good, is actually positive, you know. Um, and I think that there's a point where that becomes delusional. You know, there's a point like like everything, it's on a scale, you know. And so it's one of these things where like um, if you start talking about that, about like, you know, looking at things positively, looking at the bright side, like, you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, toxic positivity or whatever. Like everything's on a scale. Everything's everything is you go too far to one end and you're going to tip over. But I think there is a value somewhere, I, I think a few clicks back you know, from where I usually am. I think I'm usually in the 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 delusional part of positive reappraisal when I get there. Um, but there's there's a part where I think that that can be really valuable. Seeing the positive in a situation that is less than ideal, I think, can be actually really valuable. So I don't know. How do you feel about positive reappraisal? So this this aligned really well with what I know about how humans learn, mm -hmm. um, because I did not take it in the positive thinking, bright sidey thing, because a lot of that has to do with optimism, which is like, I believe this will end well, like this might mm -hmm. be really hard right now, but I believe it's going to get better. Yes. And that's not really what they're talking about. What they're yes. talking about is reappraising, re reframing mm -hmm. the thing that is challenging you. Yeah. And they had this this note in there, you know, that even repeated failures have value mm -hmm. because you can reframe difficulties as opportunity for growth and learning. And but I think what 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 we miss in there in the the, you know, just just too positive side mm -hmm. is the fact that in order to reframe, you first have to acknowledge how difficult yes. the difficult things are mm -hmm. and then recognize that that difficulty has value. Yes. And so like in so in learning theory, um, one of the theorists is uh, uh, Vygotsky, who talks about the zone of proximal development and the zone of proximal development is where learning happens. Okay. And so what that means is you have a task or you have a challenge or you have a topic to learn about that is slightly above your current ability mm -hmm. so that it's not too easy. So you're having to try. Yes. But it's not so difficult that it's impossible. And right. so, but, but but what you need in order to get there is scaffolding. And the scaffolding mm. piece is what I think we miss. So scaffolding is how do you help a learner move through that zone of proximal development? What supports do you need? What resources do you need? What additional examples do you need to get there? 
So mm-hmm. you acknowledge that it's hard and then you're scaffolding that intentionally to help somebody get to where you want them to go. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the times when we look at our own challenges, we 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 forget the scaffolding. So like, for example, if I was going to take my car to come see you, mm-hmm. right? If I was going to drive from St. Louis to, to New York. Oh, I love I this would, example. Right? <laughs> I would... I would take it in and get it checked. I would have any fluids changed that needed to be changed. I would probably clean it out and make it nice to sit in for 18 hours because I love you and you are worth driving 18 hours for. I would fill it up with gas whenever it asked for it Yes. without Mm -hmm. waiting until it was almost on fumes. Mm -hmm. I would, you know what I'm saying? I would take care of the vehicle that was getting me to that point and not expect it to perform the same way it does when I'm driving to the grocery store and back. Like. Because the expectation would be different, and I'm going to scaffold this experience for me in the car. I mean, that's not exactly scaffolding, but it is purposeful planning, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but for for myself, if I'm going to scaffold that kind of drive, I know I need GPS. Mm-hmm. I know I need some kind of backup if I get in a spot where I don't have cell phone service. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I need caffeine and I know I need to stop and stretch. But like those things have to go into this goal that I'm setting of making this drive. Right. And and I don't fault myself. For, I'm like, of course, that's what you would do. Otherwise, you're going to end up stranded in Indiana and nobody wants to stay there. Like, let's, right. let's mm-hmm. you know, or when you go through Ohio and it takes three days because the state keeps expanding. Like, <laughs> and acknowledge that it's going to be hard and it's tiring mm-hmm. and whatever. Like, that's yeah. fine. Um, but I, I think that we we set goals and we. We can get stuck in, well, if I just believed better or if I could be more optimistic or Mm -hmm. if I was just more disciplined or whatever, that we don't scaffold things for ourselves. We don't even allow for the for the understanding that we need support to get there. And then you think, yeah, I'm sorry. I think that this is where you get that, um, you know, like as a kid, right, I had I did really, really well in algebra and geometry. And then I had a sadist for a teacher in trigonometry. Right. Um, And I mean, I did okay. I didn't do as well. He was so mean. Like he didn't do this to me. I saw him do like other kids in the class. Like he would just make them cry. He would just if they didn't know the answer, he would wait the whole 45 minutes until they figured it out. Right. Oh, my God. He was just really, really mean. And I I translated the fact that I no longer enjoyed math, that I no longer enjoyed, you know, any of that, that it was a failure in me and that I, you know, I couldn't do the work, you know. Um, And I think that, like, I have since believed that I don't like math, that I'm not good at math, that I can't, you know, add numbers, that I can't think in terms of, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I think it's because I got to the place where the math was challenging, right? And then also having a sadist for the, you know, teacher was, uh, you know, didn't didn't help, right? Mm-hmm. But he wasn't providing the scaffolding that I needed to get from geometry, which was so easy and fun. And like, you know, it was like doing puzzles every week. And I loved it, right? To getting through trigonometry. I never even, I, I've never even so much as flirted with calculus. I don't even know what it is, you know? Um, <laughs> but I decided at that point that I was not a math person, you know, that I was never going to understand it and everything. So like, that's like, I think that sometimes we decide that we are not, you know, such and such people. But it's not that we don't have the capability for it. It's just that when it got difficult, when the gap between achievable and challenge, right, you know, got a little bit too high, we didn't have any scaffolding and read it as a failure in ourselves. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and the authors are right when they say reappraisal changes your brain functioning. It really does. But mm-hmm. but part of that is what is the gap between what you're trying to achieve and what you're capable of? You might need to reappraise and reframe that mm-hmm. gap and put other things in place. And I think that that's super important. Um, and it and finding the value in the difficulties, because we tend to focus on where we fail. So mm-hmm. like even what I was talking about being in the pool and my arm won't do the thing that it wants to do. But I can swim now for 45 minutes without mm-hmm. stopping yeah. through the lane, back and forth, back and forth. And I'm able to do backstrokes that stretch my arm in a way I can't do out of uh-huh. the water. Oh, you know, um, and but but it is so easy to focus on, well, I couldn't do the thing that I wanted to do and Mm -hmm. forget all the stuff that I did that I couldn't have done three years ago. So like it, it, it's not bright sidey optimism. It is focusing on what is working? What can you do? What are you getting out of this? But I think it's making that choice of deciding and acknowledging what is valuable here. Mm hmm. You know, because difficulties are opportunities for growth. And and when the difficulty is too big, then you have to know when it's time to walk away or to resize or to restructure, you know, yes. whatever you're working mm-hmm. toward. Um, but they're, I mean, it, it they're just really right. Like reappraisal does change our brain functioning. It really does. I, I mean, that. I know that. I know mm-hmm. it without question. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard. It's really hard when you're focusing on yourself and you're feeling burned out. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's really freaking tough. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, and I find it interesting because like, I, I know that there is a value to looking at things. And I think the bright sidey thing, um, and I guess for me, because I've always been like so excessively bright sidey that I, that I have at times ignored something that's real. You know, Mm -hmm. because I just wanted to see positivity, you know, and so I just kind of blocked that out. But I like this very balanced. Yes, I acknowledge that this is going wrong. I acknowledge that this isn't working. I acknowledge that this is difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, where can I find the value here? Like that, I think, is different from the no, it's fine. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. You know, like there's a difference between that. And it's something that I've I've had a challenge with because I go so far, I think, past the point where it's where it's uh, super, super helpful. Um, But I found this whole section on redefining winning (laughs) really interesting. All right. Let me start with this. If you're trying to do something where you will inevitably fail and be rejected repeatedly before you achieve your goal, I'm going to take a break here and just say I decided when I was 32 that I was going to be a writer uh, in uh-huh. which you get rejected constantly. So I'm just going to say, like, I, I, I identify with that. Um, and she says, like, if you're recording music or you're an actor, or you sell insurance or you're trying to raise a teenager to be a responsible adult, then you need a non-standard relationship with winning, focusing on incremental goals. And the non-standard relationship with winning is something that definitely uh, really appealed to me. And um, this, I think, is a, a lot of where I fall down. Like I set the bar really high for achievement and the task has to be done and done perfectly or fuck it. 
right? You know, or it's a, or everything I've put into it is a complete failure. Um, and this is something that actually I quite like about my job. My job, part of my job um, are, are longer projects and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of it is just somebody needs something updated and I update it um, quickly and, you know, hopefully usually flawlessly. So it's this tiny little thing. It is super easy and incredibly achievable. I can do it really fast. And then people somehow think I'm a magician, even though really it wasn't that big a deal. Um, but so, so it's really, it gives me that like little hit of dopamine. So I find that I will um, interrupt a bigger project that needs my full attention because somebody's like, oh, there's a period missing on this web page and the thing. And I'd be like, oh, I can fix that, you know, and I have this sense of like power and, and capability and I can go in and do it and then it's done. And then I've got it checked off my list. Um, but these large, longer tasks I find um, to be really, really challenging because I don't get my dopamine. I like that. <laughs> I like that accomplishment dopamine. And one thing that's really funny is that when I was uh, writing novels all the time, right, and novels take a long time, it's 12 to 18 months, you know, to, to like actually finish writing the thing, um, I would play World of Warcraft a lot, um, World of Warcraft is one of these MMORPGs, uh, role-playing games, right? Um, and you um, you go and you have a quest and then somebody tells you to go like, you know, kill all these like rabid wolves and you go and you kill all the rabid wolves and you bring them back the pelts and then they're like, hey, good for you. Here you go. Here's some XP. And I was like, hey, dopamine. And I find it really, really funny that like whenever I'm in a bigger project, I need to have something that gives me that sense of accomplishment all the time because I freaking hate not accomplishing things. Like I have mm. to achieve something in its completion. If it's tiny or if it's huge, it's the same to me. You know, so when I have to put all this effort into something huge or I can put a little tiny bit of effort into something tiny, I still get that hint of accomplishment, like that sense of achievement that I really, really like. Um, and uh, so what I found really interesting and what I kind of loved was when she was talking about, you know, recording the music and it's very frustrating and you start and you stop and you start and you stop. And you have to do the same thing over and over and over again. Like the Andrew's Joy, you know, <laughs> method of goal setting. Um, I thought it was, you know, that that like your your win state is does is Andrew feeling joyful? Did you give Andrew joy? And if you give Andrew joy, then yes, then you've accomplished something and you get that sense of accomplishment because you set a reasonable goal. And as I was going through their list of goal things, I was like, hey, I've seen this shit before. Yeah, like, I thought of you. <laughs> I know, like, because we talked about goals, uh, you know, in How Story Works, uh, the um, the podcast that Kelly and I uh, do when we're not doing Big Strong Yes. Uh, we've talked a lot about goals. You can go and listen to more of that over there if you're interested in goals as it relates to narrative theory. But one of the things that I built was, of course, the ASPA model, which is um, achievable, specific, um, personal, and active, right? Mm -hmm. And and as I'm looking through these, I'm like, A is active. That's positive here. What they're talking about is not that it's a good thing, but that it should be something uh, that feels good, that you're actively pursuing something, not just avoiding suffering, right? Um, specific is one of the things. Personal is one of the things they say. And achievable for me, they define as certain, you know, um, mm -hmm. and so I find it really interesting that in order for whatever your protagonist's goal in a narrative, in order for that to feel fulfilling for your reader, 
that it has to meet a lot of the same criteria that we need as humans in order for our goals to be fulfilling in actual real life. And I find it so fun and validating because I figured that shit out on my own without even having the science to go to. And now here it is. And I feel incredibly validated by this. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. Yeah, I was like, oh, Lonnie's going to love this. I I did love Uh, it. Yeah, the part that surprised me was the that the goal should be soon. Yeah. You know, achievable without requiring patience. And I was like, what? 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 Soon? What? Exactly. Um, and I think that is about those little dopamine hits, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the whole day. Um, so, yeah, it, it it's funny when I was like, okay, I'm going to swim three times a week for six months. Well, mm-hmm. great. Yeah. That's huge. So I'm trying to break it down to like, Oh, I packed my pool bag. I went to the pool. I went swimming. I did that this time just to try to kind of acknowledge those little steps along Mm -hmm. the way. Um, But what I really liked in this section was their explanation of frustration versus expectation. Yeah. Because a lot of the time our expectation is setting us up Mm -hmm. for frustration or we're not building in (laughs) room to get frustrated. So like when I'm advising grad students, for example, I will always tell them, I'm like, there is a point Mm -hmm. where you are going to get so frustrated with this project that you are going to want to quit. Like I I did it like daily for three semesters. Like it's and you have to build that in. You have to understand that you are going to hit these huge high frustration points and like yeah. go ahead and figure out how you're going to handle it when that happens because it is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so like there are some places where I'm really good at this, where I expect frustrations and delays and things that are beyond my control, mm-hmm. but I don't do that very well when it's not for work. Right. It's just me, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Um and, and redefining a goal to make incremental success its own reward, like mm-hmm. really thinking that through and not about like, oh, I did the thing. So now I get X, but more of like, hey, that was an incremental step and I did it and you're breaking it down, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, and it because that requires that you have to acknowledge the hard yeah. and acknowledge the effort. Um, and I think that that's really, really important when you're you're trying to decide, you know, what goals am I willing to work towards? What is worth working toward mm-hmm. and why? And I, and I think a lot of the times I don't question the why. Yeah. You know, and if you don't have a good understanding of the why, then it's hard to hold on through mm-hmm. those frustrations, you yeah. know, and mm-hmm. managing your own expectations, mm-hmm. I think, is a skill set. <laughs> Yeah, expectations are definitely uh, a, a big, I think, as as you're saying this, I'm like going through and I'm like, yeah, you know, my expectations are often, I expect things to be like, I, I, I have an expectance of myself that I need to like, get this done and have it done correctly and have it done right and have it done like without really acknowledging how difficult a task might be. You know, yeah. like, it doesn't matter how difficult it is. I should do it perfectly always. Um, and it's not that I think that I'm perfect. I have very rarely met my own, like, expectance, you know, of of what I, what I, what I try to demand of myself versus what I'm actually able to achieve. There's usually a really wide gap between those two. And then that's where the frustration lives. Maybe that's why my fuck it scale is so low. 
you know, mm-hmm. where I'm like, no, it's not, you know, I'm never going to do this as well as I want to do it. So why bother trying? Uh, do you remember in Big Strong Yes, uh, season one, when uh, we were talking about how I was talking about how I want to learn to sing? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, but I'm not a good singer. Right. So if I'm not good at something, if I don't have like some kind of talent, like I did not, I was like, oh, I'm going to learn to sing and I'm going to. And then I started singing and I was like, oh, girl, no, (laughs) I could I could spend my time on something I do way better than this, you know. Um, And I find that, you know, like that I hit that fuck it scale really, really low on on that because I wasn't good enough, you know, rather than working Mm -hmm you know, persisting. We're going to talk a bit about persisting in a little bit. Um, But I mean, on the flip side of like redefining winning, we have this area of redefining failure. And yeah, I kind of hit a hard wall on that because there's something about giving myself an out on failure that feels like cheating or being too easy on myself. And, um, and like, this is one of those things where like, I'm reading it and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you're, I know you're right, but I'm clearly going to have a rough time working with this. This is something I'm going to have to revisit. What did you think about the section on redefining failure? So I really like their quote. Um, they said, widen your focus to see the inadvertent benefits you stumble across along the way. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's a big a big thing um, when you're you're literally redefining failure because it's not I don't know it's not just black and white mm-hmm. and they were talking about acknowledging the grief and pain of failure and loss mm-hmm. um, turning towards it with kindness and compassion and completing the stress cycle you know that's brought on by failure and I'm mm-hmm. like well because the truth is failure is inevitable in some ways like there are gonna be things that just don't work out there are yeah. gonna be things that like yeah. so if you take if you take that off the table, then you're you're setting yourself up to to do nothing but beat yourself up. You mm-hmm. know, um, I didn't learn how to sing either. And and I <laughs> yeah, that's mm. um, but it's funny because it's not if you're looking at the, the monitor, right, mm-hmm. then like the effort that it would take versus the talent that I'm working with, the gap real big real big (laughs) big 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 gap and I'm not at the point where we're wanting to sing well Mm -hmm. takes it's not on the priority scale enough to justify the energy that it puts into it so did I fail maybe but there's a ton oh I didn't even give myself a chance to fail I quit yeah (laughs) right I'm just like I'm not even going to attempt that but you can't do all the things yeah Um, Mm -hmm. the the first time I went back for a PhD program I I technically failed um I started a program when I (laughs) the same year I was given a major promotion at Mm -hmm. work and the the PhD program yeah and it was crazy I was managing 15 people in three different cities um, the same week that the program started and uh-huh. then it required out of state work at the university where you had to go on site and I'm mm-hmm. a single parent and I was trying to make that work. And I finally realized I was like, this is I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I beat myself up for that forever and just assumed I was a failure and never considered the fact that maybe that program was not structured for someone with a full time job. I was the only yeah. person in my cohort who was working over the summer. 
Like, oh my God. And, and so a few years later, mm-hmm. I started a different program that was structured differently. And everyone in my cohort also worked full time. And that one I was able to complete. So it's yeah. it's like, how are you defining and redefining failure? I mean, I think it's super, super valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think my PhD is less valid because it took me two tries. You right. know? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's just funny. Um, and what I like, if I look at that and say, well, what did you stumble across along the way you know like I learned I can't physically be in two places at once yeah yeah (laughs) and Mm -hmm. that's a real thing and Mm -hmm. you have to you know kind of restructure it um so yeah I think I think it is really about how you think about failure Mm -hmm. and not letting it be some end-all terrible thing yeah, you know, but it's, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. it's, it's something that's allowed and that it's it's yeah. an expected outcome for a certain percentage of the things that you try. You yeah. know, like yeah. I was going to go back to school as long as we're referencing Big Strong Yes One, like back three <laughs> years ago. I was like, oh, let me go to grad school. I was <laughs> I was teaching. I was running Chipperish. I was working full time, two kids at home. And I mm-hmm. and I I thought now is the time to take a class and start a grad program, right? Um, that was crazy. I think I was like three or four weeks in and I was like, I this is stupid. Like, I can't do this, you know? Um, and I mean, the thing is, I'd love to go back. But also like the things that I want to do, I, I'm not necessarily like, I don't need, I, I want to go back to school because I want to learn things because I want to take classes because I want to, you know, um, I I don't necessarily want to have a PhD. I don't need to, you know, so I mean, I would love to be able to have the brain space to go back to classes and maybe someday I will, but I don't know that I'm necessarily going to pursue an active degree. Um, But yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. I look at that and I, I see a failure rather than a reasonable decision, making the best choice given what resources I had available to me as far as energy and time, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's, it's, I, I I'm going to have to, I think, sit with redefining failure and thinking mm-hmm. about that. I think I'm going to have to like spend a little time with that. Um, then of course we got to the maladaptive strategies, which is always where I live. Right. You know, <laughs> um, there's so many like the, the self-defeating confrontation. I stood my ground and fought, you know, like, ask for help instead. Uh, suppressing. I didn't let it get to me. Ask for help instead. Avoidance. I waited for a miracle to happen. I usually don't do that. But the next one I ate until I couldn't feel my feelings. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then there was rumination. Um, if you find your thoughts or feelings going back again and again to your suffering, ask for help. And and so I picked up kind of on a theme here, which is that mm-hmm. you're supposed to just, I don't know what, ask for help. Like, that's a reasonable thing to do. Yeah. Well, okay. I went, I got bingo again. I was Aww. like, I win. I get them all. I win. Um, I got them all. I do all the maladaptive strategies. Mm-hmm. Awesome. But I, and then at the very like logical Aquarius academic side of my brain mm-hmm. was like, okay, how do you ask for help when you're stuck in the thick of avoidance? Which yeah. by its very definition. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I'm like, okay, because yeah. I can avoid like a motherfucker. But like, how do you, what, what? And if you're you're stuck in rumination, because avoidance and rumination, I was like, yes, I am 
Yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. instead of badassery on one side and swagger on the other, like, <laughs> I've got those two things wrapped around me like a shawl. It's great. But how do you ask for help? Like, yeah. who do you ask for help from? What kind uh, of help do you ask for? I don't know. Right. I have no idea. Like, when, when <laughs> I want to eat a bowl of chips so I don't feel my feelings... <laughs> Who's going to, do I ask for somebody to help get me the chips? Like, I don't know what it is that I'm supposed to be asking. So I'm going to, I'm going to ruminate on that for a little while. And Uh that's another one that I'm going to have to sit with and revisit. And then later on, forget and reread the book years ago and go, oh my God, I've read this before. Why did I not pay attention to this? Um, Then we get to the spot about like when to give up. Um, The explore versus exploit you know, mm-hmm. uh, dichotomy they had there. And I thought that was really interesting because I am 100% explore. Give me a new thing. So like, I don't go to school. I'm going to learn how to sing. Okay. I'm not going to learn how to sing, but I'm going to do this other thing. Like I love doing that. I love giving up on something that is way too frustrating. And then being like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to dye yarn myself and then knit a hat, you know, like that's the kind of thing that I love doing that kind of thing. Um, so I thought that that was, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm like, I'm a born quitter. Like I'm absolutely <laughs> like, I will try everything and I will quit most of it in the end. Um, You know, and then, of course, we get to the part that I thought was funny where she says it's easier to manage emotions effectively when we can name them. And I was like, ah, (laughs) Kelly, say the what is it? Say the feeling. Name the feeling. feeling. Name Name the feeling. feeling. Say the feeling. They named the feeling. They called it foop. Yeah. I like that. So here we get to this, you know, uh, another thing they said, humans, especially women, have an extraordinary capacity to ignore the quitting voice. We live in a culture that values self-control and grit and persistence. And many of us are taught to see a shift in goals as weakness and failure. Yes. So um, another thing they wrote was our tendency to cling to the broken thing we have rather than let it go and reach for something new isn't just a result of social learning. The stress, fear, anxiety underlying the belief changes our decision making so that the more stressed we feel about the change, the less likely we are to do it. Okay. so this whole thing, talking about grit, talking about persistence, sticking it out no matter what, um, You know, I understand everything that they're talking about. Um, And I think that there are times where the grit and the persistence are valuable. You know, like getting your PhD was not easy. You were a single mom. You know, you had a million things that you were trying to do. You got that done. That was worth the grit and the persistence. You know, Um, my grad degree was not. (laughs) So mm-hmm. I didn't do it, you know. Yeah, and that's totally valid. Which man. I think is fine on both ends. So yeah. so are we saying that exploit versus explore, that neither one is better than the other? You just have to decide which one you're gonna do. I mean, like what is Yeah, and I think what are they getting at? Con- I think they're both contextual, but I think what they're getting at, like the the part of this that stuck out for me mm-hmm. is the more stress we feel about a change, the less likely we are to do it. Yeah. Because there is so much fear and anxiety, like that's already stacking against you when you try to do something new and hard. Mm -hmm. And it's helpful just to acknowledge that. So like if you find yourself in the I quit space, you have to ask why, Mm -hmm. you know, am I quitting because 
my stress and anxiety and fear is so high? Or am I quitting because this is just not valuable enough to me right now? Mm-hmm. And like, there's a big difference in those two spaces. Yeah. Um, and I really liked the list of when to quit questions that they included. Yes. So they were actually talking about writing this out. And there's like a decision grid in the book. Mm-hmm. But the they said to, to write out answers to these four questions. What are, what are the benefits of continuing? What are the benefits of stopping? Mm-hmm. What are the cost of continuing? What are the cost of stopping? Mm-hmm. And to think that through short term and long term. Um, because then you're you're able to make a decision that is more rational and less emotional, which, hello, yeah. can we like, yes, please. I want uh-huh. that all the time. <laughs> uh, but I don't think you can do that without acknowledging the big feelings that are influencing yeah. mm-hmm. how you're feeling, mm-hmm. um, you know, but but I was interested. They were talking about when you get to the point where this like calm inner voice says you've done all you can do here. It's time to move on that. The acknowledgement that it's time to stop or to quit does not come from frustration or fear or self-doubt. <laughs> like those are actually That's different what, feelings. That voice, you've done all you can do here. It's time to move on. That's not my voice. My voice is either, oh, we're sticking with this or fuck it. Like those are, yeah. and they're both, they're all in a part of an emotional response. So right. yeah, this, uh, I, I do find this very interesting. I know I'm going to forget. I know I'm I'm it's going to take me a while before I have the presence of mind during the next thing that I am, you know, enticed to quit. Um to to be able to develop the the presence of mind to say, "Okay, let me look at the decision grid. Let me think about what the cost and the benefit analysis of this is. Uh yeah. let me set my fuck it aside." <laughs> you know. <laughs> um and uh, so, I mean, I think that's, it's 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 definitely interesting. Um, I'm I know it's going to take practice, and that's part of it too. Is like, let me redefine the failure point here, right? Because yep. my first thing is going to be, oh, I'm an asshole. I never do anything right. Blah blah blah. You know, because that's usually the first place I go. But we're not doing self-deprecating bullshit anymore. BSY no, is a self-deprecation free zone. <laughs> so. Instead, let me say that this is a practice, the presence of mind, the awareness, the practice until I get to the point where I am aware enough when I'm in the fuck it state to actually sit down, take a step back and not make that choice out of whatever my, you know, wild emotions are at the moment, but actually really do an assessment um, and then decide whether or not to quit. Yep. So, all right. I I think think it's about knowing the why. And yeah. is the why worth persisting? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which brings us into nevertheless, she persisted. And you have some rage here. So I'm going to let you go. I first. have a little rage. <laughs> Mitch McConnell is a filthy piece of fucking garbage. And I just oh, want to yeah. say that. I just have to say that. Like the idea, you know, I remember nevertheless, she persisted. I have a shirt that says on it, nevertheless, she persisted. But the fucking patriarchy of it is so infuriating and to talk to Elizabeth fucking Warren like that, um, Mitch McConnell, I cannot even, he is a disgusting, I hate him so, Kelly, I hate him so much. I know. I know. I'm right there with you, honey. I just have right to vent about you. that. Mitch McConnell, yeah. filthy piece of fucking garbage, and I hate him. Um, all right. So anyway, so let's uh, move on past that venting that apparently I had <laughs> to do. Um, and I will allow myself the space here 
to vent my rage about Mitch McConnell. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow it. I'll let that go. Um, one of the quotes they have, though, is people of color, women, people with disabilities and members of other disenfranchised groups have persisted in the face of impossible frustrations, often crediting their most difficult trials with their most empowering personal growth. And yes, yeah, you know, the, the things in my life that have been hardest on me are the ones that have also given me tools and strength and all of that kind of stuff. But it's exhausting like it is you know finding the the bright side of those struggles especially when they are struggles that happen because you are trying to work with let's say for instance a filthy fucking piece of garbage like mm-hmm. you know the 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 when the difficulty happens because somebody deliberately treated you like less of a human or made the task that much harder for you to do. Um, it doesn't have to be that exhausting. Challenge is one thing, but but when things are deliberately made more difficult by people in bad fucking faith, you know, um, that I find, you know, really enraging. So while at the same time, yes, I acknowledge those difficulties do make it make you better at stuff. It's still terrible that these people do this anyway. You know, I mean, it still fucking sucks. And I just like, I want the rage acknowledged. My ragey monitor is all over the place today. And yeah, yeah. Well, I think acknowledging rage is important and mm-hmm. certainly something that we're not conditioned yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interested in this section where they said that goals give us a sense of engagement with something larger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh. Because I don't know that I've really thought about it like that. I think it's a really, really crunchy idea mm-hmm. um, that some of the things that that motivate us or drive us is to engage with something larger than ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I don't know exactly what that means for me, but I really liked it mm-hmm. because I think it's easiest for me to give up when I stop believing in the why or, mm-hmm. or when the why starts to feel impossible. Yeah. Um, And most of the time that is because of beliefs I have about myself. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it is it is the yes, persistence is is valuable in and of itself. But also if you do that without taking care of yourself, if you do that without completing stress cycles, Mm -hmm. you're going to burn the hell out. And persistence enough. I mean, persistence alone is not enough to carry you through that. And when you expect it to be, then you're just setting yourself up to feel terrible. I mean, yeah, it's this, this, uh, you know, idea, this persistence, this grit, this just keep going no matter what. I mean, that's why we're all fucking exhausted and burnt out, you know, because we're not allowing ourselves the other side of that, which is that it's exhausting. Um, All right. So what is your big idea this week? Um, I like the idea of acknowledging the heart up front. So when Mm -hmm. you're making plans, like, don't underestimate how difficult it is, like actually acknowledge the hard Mm -hmm. and then make a plan for dealing with the stress of whatever it is you're doing. Exactly. Uh, Which feels like next level ninja level magic to me, but (laughs) that's varsity. And I still haven't made the JV team. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Mm -hmm. Me too. Me Mm -hmm. too. What about you? What was your big uh aha? Same, same. Exactly the same thing. Yeah, just like building, completing the cycle into the plan is something that I am definitely going to have to think about um, and and fail at a few times before I actually get it, um, which I think will be will be an interesting process for me. Um, okay, the strong challenge. What did you resist? 
so I didn't resist it so much as I am trying to reframe it because mm-hmm. I I think of my monitor as weak or broken mm-hmm. um, because I give up on physical challenges so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always internalized that as a deep character flaw in me. So yes. uh, there's a lot to unpack there about expectation um, and the monitor. And so I think I have to, I, I'm not resisting it because I think it's wrong, but I, eh, it's, it's going to take, some, <laughs> it's a lot to unpack. Yeah. yeah. What about you? What's your strong challenge? Um, you know, I think it's dealing with failure. Um, you know, I, I'm incredibly optimistic. My optimism allows me to redefine the win. Like I can do that, you know, but my inability to cut myself slack for being a failure. And as I wrote that, I was like, I'm just going to edit in my script. And then I'm like, nope, nope, I'm going to note my words, right? Mm-hmm. I said, I didn't say failing. I said being a failure, right? Yeah. Um, so I have some things there to examine in the way that I um, I don't identify myself as a winner. So mm-hmm. when there's a win, it's something else. It's because it was it was easy or somebody came by and helped me or I got lucky or whatever. But when I fail, it is because I am a failure. And I think that those are things that, again, like I need to to work on reframing my my way that I look at these things, you know, um, and and not always view everything in whatever way um, reflects most negatively on me. You know, yeah. so. All yeah. right. What's your homework? So I think for homework, I have to reevaluate whatever, redefine, reframe um, my persistence. So the, mm-hmm. the things that I'm trying to do to manage burnout better, I have a habit of focusing on which ones I dropped the ball on and not focusing on which ones I did or are working. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's it's kind of thinking this through. Like, it's very easy for me to set goals without acknowledging how difficult they are. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've, I've really got to, I've got to really sit down and think about that and probably write about it some, mm-hmm. which will be super fun. So what about you? What's your Oh, you're going to love that. I, it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So for me, I am going to try to um, to incorporate completing the cycle into my my planning, into my systems, mm. into everything that I have. Right. Complete the cycle. Pull that in. Think about the ways in which I can do that. What are the strategies that are available to me? What are the most uh, beneficial, positive for me strategies that I can pull into that? So that's going to be part of the plan. So when I plan something this week, when I plan for all the inevitable things that could possibly go wrong, I also need to think about, okay, how am I going to give myself space for running this stress through me rather than letting it sit within me? It's a good homework. I think so. We'll see how I do. Uh, What's your favorite part? (laughs) Uh, I really like widen your focus to see the inadvertent benefits you stumble across along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do, I think that's more than bright sidey. I think it is acknowledging yes. what did you learn in that process that maybe you didn't even know you were going to learn, mm-hmm. right? How, how do you reframe the challenges that you face? I really like that a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's acknowledging the benefit. It's acknowledging mm-hmm. the positive as well as the negative, which I think is different from the kind of uh, bright sidey, let me only think about the ways in which this could be positive even 
to the point where some of the the positivity is delusional. That's a different thing, I think. Um, yeah. And you know, for me, of course, my 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 work in narrative theory being validated <laughs> by the science. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> that was very yeah. exciting. That was very, I was like, oh, Lonnie's going to love these goals. <laughs> it was very cool. I love that it was a lot of the same stuff. It made me feel very validated. And now I know that there's psychology behind it. So, yeah. Um, and as I am writing my book, I'm definitely going to pull some of that science in and uh, use it. It'll make me sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Dine Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag Big Strong Yes. Also, be sure to follow Chipperish Media at Chipperish to stay connected with all of our podcasts. You can find out more about the Doctors Nagoski and Burnout at burnoutbook.net. This episode of Big Strong Yes was brought to you by the Chipperish Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Big Strong Yes is coming to you free and ad free right now. So thank you to Kevin, Stephania, Shelley, Rose, Jonathan, Alice, Kristen, Sarah, Christina, Erica, and Abigail. And this week's special message for our power producers, it's easier to manage emotions effectively when we can name them. Name the emotion. <laughs> Name the feeling. All right. Say the feeling. <laughs> Five dollar and up Patreon supporters get my reaction show with Ian Martin of Passion of the Nerd. Let's watch Roulette, where we randomly roll something on Netflix and watch it live. Ten dollar and up Patreon supporters also get to attend live tapings of Big Strong Yes and all the other podcasts that we do here at Chipperish Media. Head on over patreon.com slash chipperish to find out what waits for you when you decide to support. You can also show your support for Big Strong Yes by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a great review or telling your friends about the show and Chipperish Media or keep persisting and tell Mitch McConnell to go fuck himself. <laughs> we will be back next time with chapter three, meaning. Until then, today's closing quote is by Maya Angelou. You may encounter many defeats, but you must not be defeated. In fact, it may be necessary to encounter the defeat so you can know who you are, what you can rise from, how you can still come out of it.